Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is a Manhattan-bound B-Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hello, I'm John Elledge and this is Skylines, the Cinemetric Podcast. The last day of August this year brought summer to a juddering halt here in London when some devastating news emerged. It turned out that uh, Crossrail, which you may well know is the £15 billion East-West Railway uh, that London has been promised for literally decades now, uh, which will also upsettingly be known as the Elizabeth Line, it emerged that day that it was kind of running late, like... The first section we'd confidently been assured was kind of open in December, so you'd be able to get a train through the through the main underground route from Paddington in the west, through Liverpool Street in the east, and then under Canary Wharf out to out to Woolwich. Uh, that was meant to be opening this December with suburban branch lines kind of hooking up over the course of the next year and a half or so. But it turns out that's not happening. You know, despite the fact that Crossrail has been seen not just in Britain, but sort of internationally as like as a, the exemplar of a, of a mega project that was running on time and to budget. It was seen as this great example of something that was actually, despite being worth £15 billion, it was actually kind of going quite well. And then one day we found out it was not, in fact, going well, and the whole thing is running. Well, they say uh, it'll be open next autumn, so we can probably assume at least nine months late. A year might be more realistic. Anyway, when when this happened, once I got over my, my obvious devastation, I had an idea. I like doing sort of long random walks across the city as as anyone who follows my twitter on a sunday afternoon will know and it occurred to me that i'd not actually sort of been out and investigated the state of the of the infrastructure on crossrail so one wednesday in september i decided to spend the day walking the length of the new crossrail tunnel from from woolwich in the east all the way to paddington in the west just to kind of see how it was looking thing is though despite being a a kind of nerd about this stuff. I don't really know that much about how rail infrastructure actually works. So to get the most out of this, and also, you know, to monetize it as as content, as is my way, I decided to take a, a traveling companion along. And I asked Jim Waterson, who is the Guardian's media editor and one of the foremost trained nerds uh, working in the British media today, to, to come along for the ride. 
What you're about to hear now is a series of recordings we made that day. They were made on my phone using a sort of earbuds headset microphone. So the, the quality is, it's always audible, but it's not always amazing. Sometimes it gets a little bit windy, but I've tried to do it the best I can. It's also a sort of live recording. Like we didn't plan any of this. We just kind of like chatted about various Crossrail related subjects as we go along. So it's a little bit messy. There's kind of no narrative arc except for the fact that, you know, we're aiming for Paddington. I should note here that Jim, despite being a man who voluntarily chose to spend his day off walking 18 miles just to see how Crossrail was looking, he spends the entirety of the recording you're about to hear calling me a train nerd. So I'm going to get my retaliation in first by pointing out that he's a little bit confused about where Woolwich is. And he didn't know there was a foot tunnel. Just saying. Okay, so we are stood in a sort of alcove next to what I think is an estate agent's in Woolwich, in a very sinister fashion, trying to get out the wind and not look like we're about to break in. Where's the station, Jim? I'm not entirely sure where the station is, John, but we're on Station Way, which would make me think it's somewhere around here. Um, Brilliantly, they've taken all of the crossrail signs which had opening in... Uh, December 2018 and pasted over them with stickers saying autumn 2019 so fair play to whoever got that contract Um, but the strange thing is that there isn't any sign of any station that could have opened within a couple of months anyway yeah that is suspicious isn't it it's like it doesn't look like the sort of thing that that was ready to open in December it kind of looks more like a building site yeah, and for anyone who doesn't know where Woolwich is, it's in southeast London. It's sort of uh, a slightly overlooked part south of the Thames, but opposite Canary Wharf and all of that. And if you go down here, there's an enormous, enormous development of a former military site, which I quite like. I'm not sure if it's okay to quite like, but it, it, it does the job for me. And the crossrail thing was the centre of all of it that would make all these people buying these overpriced new flats... Uh, able to commute to the city uh, and there ain't no sign of it uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hipster bars that seem to have already opened yeah which i think might be a bit premature given that i mean i i i think it's a nice development as these things go i think they're doing they're doing good things with what was uh, just a military encampment for many many decades and they used to you know thames me just up the road that's that's on the side of where they used to blow stuff up for a laugh and is this where they used to do the blowing up from? Uh, this is where the people who, who did the blowing up were based, and they'd nip up the road to the marshes at Thamesmead and blow stuff up, and they developed that as housing in, I think, the 80s. The thing I find weird about it, though, is it's kind of nice in itself, but it does kind of feel like it's sort of encroaching upon this sort of very old-school working-class bit of south-east London that always feels to me a bit like a northern industrial town. It's got that kind of... You know, this sort of nice square with a water feature and, and you know, maybe some new flats for Tesco's will, will sort everything out. And then here's suddenly the new East London uh, of, like, you know, Docklands and Hips is just kind of, like, encroaching along the Crossrail Road. So it's about 10 o'clock now. We're going to try and get to Paddington later this afternoon. I guess we better hit the road. Okay, so that was about an hour ago. I am now in the lift for, to go down to the Woolwich Foot Tunnel. We've been going about an hour, by which I mean we stopped for breakfast and heard that for an hour. Uh, immediately after we recorded that last segment, some very nice men from Barclay Homes came out and asked us what the hell we were doing with ourselves. And then we had our first argument about whether we should take the Woolwich Foot Tunnel 
or the ferry. And then we had a secondary argument about whether or not we should get the lift or the stairs down to the foot tunnel. So I got the lift, Jim said he would race me, and he beat me, the bugger. How are you doing? I'm all right. Don't try and do 100-odd stairs after a full English breakfast, though. You'll feel a bit funny. Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not the smartest move you've ever made. So we're now in the Woolwich Foot Tunnel, which is the easternmost point at which you can cross the Thames on foot. Do you know about the Woolwich Foot Tunnel, Jim? I don't know about the Woolwich Foot Tunnel, John. Do you want me to tell you? Because I'm going to tell you. I can hardly wait. Okay, so it's about 1890. At the, that point, there's a lot of people who work in the docks on the north side of the Thames. Uh, but they live in the houses on the south side of the Thames. So mostly they get across using horse ferries. There's one at Greenwich, there's one at... Fer- ferries driven by horses? I think so. I should probably look that up. I've had a debate about this quite recently. We think it means that that's, there's horses involved somewhere. It might mean horses you can get... F- sorry, it might mean ferries you can get horses on. I'm not actually sure. Did they ride the horses across the, across the river, John? Like Vikings. Vikings don't do that, do they? Anyway, so so... There's a lot of people like crossing the Thames on a regular basis, and it's a bit of a pain in the arse because you know Victoria and London, a bit smoggy. Sometimes you can't run a boat, you can't get people to work, can't get people back from work. So some Labour politicians in the East End decide that they want to build some permanent crossings. Um, so they can't build bridges because there's a lot of ships coming in and out. So they come up with a, they come up with a committee um, that, that proposes, that looks at a number of proposals. They end up with one bridge, which is Tower Bridge, which raises. But also, um, they eventually decide to do two tunnels. So the Greenwich and Woolwich foot tunnels are built kind of as a package to replace those ferries. One of the prime movers in this was a guy called Will Crooks, who's a fascinating figure who, like, did, you know, he was not only responsible for these tunnels, he was the first Labour mayor of Poplar. He was one of the first independent Labour MPs in the House of Commons. Unfortunately, this being the late Victorian Edwardian era, he was also a bit of a eugenicist. So, kind of a mixed record there. But we're now, we're now about halfway down the It's quite eerie down here, isn't it? It's very cold, and if anyone knows Greenwich, where there's a foot tunnel where you, uh, you can hardly get across now because it's so busy, it's very eerie because we're, we can see from end to end under the whole length of the Thames. It's very, very chilly down here. And the strange thing is we're pretty much the only people down here. So we're in a silent, probably kilometre-long tunnel under the Thames. And it's a little bit eerie. I kind of like it. I just kind of like the fact that it's here and nobody bloody uses it. And, you know, if you're ever trying to get from northeast London to southeast London, what else are you going to do? Okay, this is present day John here. I'm not going to break into the, the recording too much, but there's a couple of things I want to note about the above. Firstly, we did, in fact, find Woolwich Station. Uh, the very nice men from Berkeley Homes who kind of popped out to check we weren't going to rob anything uh, pointed us in the direction of the correct set of hoardings. And it is it is sort of there. It's just hidden behind these hoardings and it's not really recognisable as a station quite yet. But it's probably not actually that far off. Uh, also, I finally got round to looking up what a horse ferry was. Uh, just for the record, it's a boat big enough and long enough to take horse and cart without unharnessing the horses. So it's not drawn by horses, it's not specifically for horses, but it can take horses. So, now you know. Also, I want to apologise in advance for the fact this next section is quite incredibly windy. In places, it's actually quite difficult to hear. I promise that it calms down after about 20 seconds and that nothing else you're going to hear is quite as bad as this. But, you know, just so you know. Talking of things that sound bad, this section begins with me making a truly shocking discovery about my travelling companion. Hang on, you 
didn't know there was a Woolwich Tunnel. Uh, I didn't originally know there was a Woolwich Tunnel, John, but we've now we've now come out the other end of it and are standing on a windswept bit of East London dockside in the shadow of the Tate and Lyle factory where all your lovely sugar comes from. At the portal, which is the place where Crossrail comes above ground. To give you an idea if you're listening to this, and, and God knows why you are listening to this, we have just been asked by a lorry driver if we're lost for even daring to walk up this road. So um, it, it is not... It is in an area that's seen better days as a car goes past. There is... There is literally nothing here but construction traffic. There's a quite, there's a fairly depressing-looking patch of housing with some boarded-up pubs. We passed the old North Woolwich Station, which was briefly a railway museum, and is now a wreck. It's, uh, I think, you know, it's probably one of the last places in London where you can buy some cheap property, but probably not that cheap. Okay, so what are we looking at here? We are looking at at the edge of the Royal Docks in London by the Excel Centre, which is a depressing hangar of an exhibition centre. We're looking at the sort of place that Crossrail is going to revive and where it's standing on top of the Crossrail tracks themselves. We're not expecting a train anytime soon, uh, partly because obviously it's been delayed, but also we can literally see people walking up and down the line. So that's a fairly big clue. But we can see what will be Custom House Station just up the road. One of the things that's kind of weirded me out about the, the bit of the walk we've just done is we walk straight past London City Airport. Not going to be a Crossrail Station there. What's, that's weird, isn't it? It is weird, but the, this, is, this is what's odd about this project. It's, it's enormous. Um, the main thing, actually, with going past London City is just the weirdness of how there's so much land around here that's still not built on. There's all these, uh, you know, we're putting in these crossrail stations and there's, there's room for tens of thousands of houses still. And that's obviously what is going to go on here when it all opens up. And the other thing that you wouldn't notice if you live, you know, working in central London or just visiting is on the outer reaches. There's just so many people working on crossrail still. There's just hundreds of people who've already passed, you know, manning gates, working on the tracks, building signals, all in their orange, uh, orange high-vis jackets. Um, and there's a lot of jobs that have come out of this. Okay, so I've got a bit of a personal question. When we were going through North Woolwich, she said, oh, I was last here with my parents when I first moved to London. Why did you bring your parents to North Woolwich? I think I brought them to look at uh, where Crossrail was going to be built, John. Yeah, but I like—I don't inflict this nonsense on anyone else. This is very solid. Like you're actually quite privileged. I never normally let people come on these sort of odysseys with me. Like, why did you bring your parents? Oh, well, I think I come from a slightly strange North Yorkshire village, and they're very excited. They—they—they they, they wander around London, getting very excited at seeing big things like this. Okay. Oh, there's a plane going over, and a DLR train going past. It's like the future. So this is a bit weird. We're sort of in a garden on top of a station next to a skyscraper with a roof on top of a dock. What, what the hell is going on? Well, we've had a bit of a wander. We've wandered through the bit of the Docklands that you sort of forget about, which is the really disgusting, grimy part where it's just a stream of cement trucks going up and down. We've got a tent and lower factory and got some nice, nice smells. That was all right. But we're now in Canary Wharf, which is everyone's favourite Blade Runner-esque financial centre where there's lots of restaurants offering takeaway lobster 
people in suits looking slightly stressed and wondering what, whether it was really worth fat salary to ruin their lives in this way. And we're now sitting in a beautiful, bizarre rooftop garden of the sort that you'd imagine belongs in somewhere like Hong Kong on top of the Crossrail station in Canary Wharf. And it's genuinely worth coming to check out if you're ever in this area. I don't know if I'd make the trip specially, to be honest, but it is kind of, it's just kind of an odd thing to attach to a piece of transport infrastructure. It's like, you're right, it feels very sort of like something you'd expect in a sort of Asian city rather than East London. So we've done, we've done a, we've done a fair chunk of the route now. Um, it thought occurs to me that I never asked, like, do you, do you think Crossrail's a good idea? I mean, I'm assuming you like the, like the whole, you know, trains are good, but do you think this is the, the thing we should be building or do you think the whole thing has been, bit of a white elephant what do you reckon i was i've been excited about it ever since i first started coming to london in about 2009-10 and i remember uh seeing them starting to do the initial demolition work and there was a sign saying you know this will open in 2018 which seems so inexplicably far in the distance i couldn't imagine what i'd be doing in 2018 i certainly didn't imagine i'd be talking about crossrail on a podcast and be a, a someone making a living from journalism but I think it's going to, I do think it's going to change. I do think it's going to change a lot because uh, there's so many spaces that you nip to in London because they're easy to get to. You, you, if you're near the Victoria line, then Brixton suddenly becomes an easy place to get to and somewhere as far from central London isn't. Mm. And the same with Crossrail. You're going to find, you know, popping to Woolwich if you're in central London will no longer be a weird thing to do if that was what you wanted to do. Yeah, I suppose like, in the same way that the, sort of the gradual expansion of the London Overground has sort of opened up swathes of southeast london to people who perhaps would not have expected to to go down there before crossrail could do the same thing but i'm kind of i mean it's also we're spending a lot of money on this i guess what i'm wondering about is more the sort of opportunity cost thing and whether like we couldn't have spent this money better i don't know maybe in i don't know the north uh i'm i'm gonna be a bad original northerner here and say that i think i mean obviously i now live in london i think if they hadn't built this the how the hell would anything function for a decade to come or so i used to commute on the central line imagine trying to get that in a few years time assuming that people start taking the tube again in greater numbers um and the moment that this opens bus routes that were once busy will suddenly become emptier people might be choosing not to use their cars because there's just suddenly a great option to come in from somewhere else um I, i just basically think we should always build more trains yeah, I don't disagree. And a lot of it is that kind of capacity point where like, so, so the various cuts to the bus network going on in London at the moment were in part predicated on the idea that Crossrail would free up tube capacity, which would in turn free up bus capacity. And so you wouldn't necessarily need all this. And you know, there's a similar logic with, with HS2, right? Where like it's, everyone talks about, you know, I don't see why I need to get to Birmingham any faster. But actually, it's really about the fact the existing network is a bit full and it will add, add capacity to it. But I'm still kind of wondering if, like, it feels like we're on a conveyor belt and, like, you always need to build more stuff in London or in corridors where there already is a lot of transport infrastructure because it's quite full, where places where the infrastructure as exists is pretty bad so people don't use it don't get the investment that they need to make it better well i think the thing that uh, that that strikes me is when i whenever i go back home back to yorkshire now and i look at i go on a sort of two carriage pacer that's winding its way around which is sort of the the famous converted buses that run across parts of the northern network it is that core bit if there was one logical bit that would make sense to have something new not an upgrade not a sort of 
a few hundred million here spent improving a route, but just an entire new railway, that link between Leeds and Manchester is the one that's crying out for it. If you could have some sort of rapid transport, if you could make that sort of Pennine megacity that we'll all sort of used to dream of, that would be cool. That would be something that I think would be brilliant to see the, the money spent on. But the thing you've got to remember is Crossrail costs all of this and is only really about, what, eight or nine miles of new track? The distances between cities in the north are so much longer that if you're going to build a new railway, you'd need to plough through entire, you know, mountains, mountains basically, yeah. um, for 20, 30, 40, 50 miles. I mean, the cost would be enormous. And the, the unpalatable truth is, you know, we're in Canary Wharf at the moment where there's hundreds of thousands of jobs uh, supported by its existence. And I don't know whether you can make the same cost-benefit analysis for, for chunks of the north. I mean, there's probably some truth to that, but I also do sometimes wonder if, like, the cost-benefit analysis equations do end up a little bit biased towards places where there is already a booming economy, as opposed to where there could be with the right investment, if you see what I mean. Well, totally, but Manchester's getting to that point. So the nice thing is you've now got Manchester, which is sort of able to act as a regional actual power with an identity, a message, and a vaguely coherent governing structure that can campaign for these things and and cause a stink and you've got more media moving there which is a very useful thing to have the bbc in in salford because as soon as you've got journalists there they miraculously start to cover the issues that affect an area an awful lot more hang on what kind of yorkshireman are you going like oh what we need to do is invest more in manchester i love i love manchester i really think manchester give me manchester over leeds any day me too but Uh, i'm allowed to say that no i'm I'm a very very proud yorkshireman but i also think that manchester is one of the greatest cities in the world Uh, I think it's an amazing place that's only just starting to get going. And so if you were going to do something equivalent for outside London, if you were going to come down as a Mancunian and look at what London's got, then you'd start to be looking, where can we connect up? Why are we having to settle for the promises of a bit more spending here or there? Is there anything we could do on a massive new scale? Um, And I'll be honest, the problem is finding the cash and also the issues of finding a route through a beautiful bit of countryside. While we're here, before we move on, we still got quite a lot of walking to do, to be honest, which is a little bit of a concern because I'm getting old and my legs are starting to ache. But while we're here, can we talk about the name Canary Wharf for a second? I'd love to talk about the name Canary Wharf. John, why do you think Canary Wharf is called Canary Wharf? We, I already know this. I knew this before we had this exact conversation off mic. Well, no, it's like because it was, it was named after the Canary Islands, wasn't it? And which are in turn named after dogs rather than canaries. But why were they building a dock in East London for produce from the Canary Islands? Is it something to do with slavery? These things often have something to do with slavery. Not to do with slavery. Sugar, then. It was the Victorian love of the tomato. Okay, the very famous Victorian love of the tomato. They discuss, so the Canary Islands are sort of sticking up out into the Atlantic and it was a way to get produce from um, somewhere relatively nearby to the London market early on, earlier in the season than you get it in Britain. So they built these docks to take goods from the Canary Islands where you could have uh, essentially intensive agriculture on these much warmer, much nicer Atlantic islands and then ship the produce in a sort of, in the same way you get your strawberries from South Africa nowadays or whatever, uh, or your apples from uh, the other side of the world. You could get your produce shipped from the Canary Islands and it wouldn't go off by the time it made it to London. So what you're saying is that Canary Wolf has always been about globalisation, really? Uh, yeah, it's got fewer tomatoes nowadays, though. OK, but I actually wanted to talk about the name Canary Wharf in a different way, right? We are sitting on top of Canary Wharf Crossrail Station, 
which is probably a good 10-minute walk from Canary Wharf Tube Station, which is a good five-minute walk from Canary Wharf DLR Station. And I have a horrible feeling the tube map is going to pretend they're all one station. I am not happy about that. Well, John, you're a very unusual man, and I say that as someone who's agreed to do a walk of the entire Crossrail route with you. Um, I think most people will cope. Yeah, but the people who won't are overwhelmingly the ones who are listening to this podcast. Well, they also really need to have a long look at their lives. You've chosen to spend your day off doing this. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Eventually, we, we dragged ourselves away from the, the rather nice gardens at Canary Wharf Crossrail Station. And we were sort of wandering for over, bought a couple of overpriced coffees. And then somehow, something disastrous happened. I've bloody lost him. So we're on the, we're just to the sort of uh, eastern side of West India Quay. And I says... We're trying to work out which way to go, if we're going to strictly follow the route. And I said, oh, I've got a map. Let me look at the map. And he all right. I turn around and he's gone. I don't really know what to do now. Found him again. He's found a van. The sudden burst of noise there was actually the sound of me knocking that overpriced coffee onto the floor. I cut the bit where you could hear me howling. That cost like three quid. Anyway, after that disaster, we had a walk through the, the proper heart of the East End, past the church in Limehouse, designed by Hawksmoor in the 17th century. And eventually, we made it out to Whitechapel, where we decided to stop for a pint. So, we are in the Blind Beggar, which is a pub on Whitechapel Road, which is famous for um, it once being a haunt of the Cray Brothers. And now, mostly just like hipsters, because it's the East End and that's what they do, really. But the reason we're here is because it's very near Whitechapel Station, which uh, is going to be on Crossrail, but was a late addition, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, th- I can't remember the deal, but basically they kicked up a fuss until they got to... They, they were like, we're gonna, you're going to mess up the East End while building this damn thing. Can you at least put us on the line? 
So Whitechapel, if you don't live in London, is, is sort of the edge of where the financial district starts proper again. It's the end of the residential area and the start of the sort of city itself uh, where you start to get tower blocks going up and big buildings coming in. So, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting area. Yeah, no, we passed um, Stepney City Farm where like they clearly had to sort of pull up an enormous amount of land previously occupied by some sheep to build a crossrail portal. So basically I think the deal with the Whitechapel thing is just like, you know, you're gonna you're gonna fuck everything up for us, then you really need to give us a station response. And you can kind of we were looking at a map at Canary Wharf, you can kind of see there's a sort of massive bulge in the line where it kind of goes out of its way to serve this one. Um, what do you think of the East End? You used to live around here, didn't you? I did used to live around here a, a, a while ago. But the, the main the main thing with this area, and it, it's telling, even compared to when I moved to London a few years ago, Crossrail is having this effect on places. The whole street along here has been pushed up, has had, you know, the, 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 the stonework's been blasted to make it clean again. There's uh, new buildings going up everywhere. So you build these stations, you build these new infrastructure to serve the people of somewhere like Whitechapel, and then what happens inevitably is new people come in because they want to live there because it's got better transport links. And that's the eternal sort of churn of something like this. You make a place nicer, easier to get to. And then what does it do for the people who were living there beforehand? Well, it's still a problem with gentrification, isn't it? It's like if you don't have a financial stake in the place, then you get, you get pushed out. Uh, but, you know, historically, that wasn't too big a problem because people just moved on somewhere else. You know the story of the the building on Brick Lane that everyone banged yeah. on about that was um, a, a Huguenot church and was then like a synagogue and is now a mosque. And yeah, it's just like you you do get communities passing through, which is it's all right. Yeah, I mean my my uh, my aunt was a trainee nurse around here in the seventies, and the most of the population were were Jewish people who'd moved here in the the thirties and forties, and now it's predominantly Bangladeshi and. Every generation has cycled through here, you know, every, with a new wave of immigration, people come in and then move on to elsewhere. So here's the thing. My grandfather grew up not far from here and moved out to uh, the Essex suburbs. He clearly moved along the district line because like, you, know, you want somewhere that you can get back to the old place and family and friends and so on. Um, I know I have friends whose family were in Bethnal Green and moved out along the central line. So we're probably going to get people moving out to like bloody Shenfield and so on. Yeah, and it's it's a sort of wonderful cycle of London, this sort of strange city of people moving in en masse, taking over areas, then moving on to other areas, and um, nothing ever quite stays the same, and that includes everything from people to railways. Immediately after recording that, but I mean literally it was seconds, Jim went, oh, I've forgotten, I've got something I brought to show you. I got a bit frightened at that point. The suspense is killing me here. Well, John, I thought I thought that since we were going for a nice day out, I'd uh, and we were going to have a drink, you know, just to break up the walk. I thought I'd bring a game to to play. Oh fuck's sake! And so what I've got is the only copy in the world of Power Stations of Great Britain, um, which is a you know a prototype of a game that will soon be taking over the country. Is this is this top trumps? We've got laminated cards here. Have you literally made Power Station top trumps? Uh, I I can't even claim the credit for this. My good friend Tommy Ogden made this for, I think, my, my 23rd birthday. Um, it's a game for all the family. Uh, you, you, you have a fun fact about each Power Station. Uh, and, you know, I, I just think it's, it's a hit waiting to happen. All right, well, we're giving a bit of free publicity here. Do you want to 
Which is, this is top trumps, right? So you just read one out. Yeah. Okay. Which, which power station have you got? I've got Crackside, which is the world's first hydroelectric power station with the first proper installation of electric lighting and a dishwasher. Ah, well, I've got King Home B, which in, uh, when it opened in April 1993 was the only second gas-fired power station built in the UK. So I think you should pick a card at random and choose, uh, choose which category you want to play. Okay. I'm going to stick with Cragside, just because I want to read this out. NIMBY rating, one, brackets, mm. in a backyard. That's literally a power station in someone's backyard. Is that okay? Yeah, it was a pioneering power station, John. Okay. Uh, right, well, I, I'm going to play. I'm going to take you on, play your top card. Uh, I'm going to go for a low NIMBY rating. Oh. I mean, you know what the NIMBY rating is. I mean, that's the same NIMBY rating there with C-Bank. So, oh, well, that's good. Okay, well, which play. is a combined cycle gas turbine station situated beside the Seven Estuary, just north of Avonmouth. Well, you, you, you play the next one, then, Okay. John. Okay, I'm going to go capacity, 1,900 megawatts. High or low? Sorry? Which one are you going for? To, are you going to go for high or low? Oh, do you have to pick? This you isn't pick, just like... Yeah. I think that's quite high. All right, put it down. I've got Drax, which makes almost 4,000 megawatts. You've lost, John. Story of my life. Why have we stopped, John? What are you on about? We are just outside Whitechapel Station. I'm looking at a post with uh, a map and some directions. And at the top it says, uh, it's got the underground round door, and underneath it it says underground, and below that it says overground. What's odd about that? The underground is above the overground, John? Yeah. And you know where that is, right? Because at Whitechapel, the overground is beneath the underground. At Whitechapel, the overground runs underground, while the underground, which runs over it, runs overground. That is correct. Doesn't that just make you really bloody angry? No, because that's how it is, John. Yeah, but a lot of things are like, that's how it is. It's like, you know... Poverty, if that's how it is. Like, horrible diseases, if that's how it is. We don't just, like, stop and accept stuff just because that's how it is. We try and change things, right? John, it's the alignment of some bloody railway lines. I'm just saying this stuff matters to people. Me, it matters to me. Don't you walk away from me. I quite like Liverpool Street. I have a soft spot for it. Why do you have a soft spot for it, John? No, it was, it, was, it was my lo- I mean, it was my, my sort of London terminal growing up. It was the one, you know, I'd be either sort of getting to London, which is very exciting, or I'd be about to go home, which is nice. It's just, you know, it's all right. It's clean. It's got a decent enough roof. I, d- I don't mind it. It's okay. I just associate it with sort of when I was living out this way and people were always drunk and fighting on a Friday night. Also, that Gomez video where they dropped £20,000 in notes over the side in rush hour and watched everyone scrabble around. Was it Gomez? I don't know. Did that actually happen? Yeah, there's some Britpop video. It made the news. We are starting to run short of time, so if the sound quality is even worse than it was before, that's because we're now not stopping when we need to record something. But we are in Smithfield Market. It's a very fine-looking covered meat market, which is clearly one day going to be... I mean, like, this is going to get... It's going to stop working as a meat market and become like a proper like borough market foodie thing at some point, right? Well, I quite like the fact that at the moment it still is just a through-the-night industrial meat market, literally, while all the clubs around here discourage people, uh, 
uh, our meat markets in the uh, more figurative sense. That's the literal metaphor yeah. that I'm heading for there, John. Yeah. Um, but we all, hurry up. all underneath it is a web of railway tunnels, some of which are used by Thameslink. And this is the thing, we're near Farringdon. Farringdon is going to be the, the sort of hub of all of this. It's going to be the only place where you'll be able to get a north-south and an east-west train at the same time. That, that's nice, that connects up. But excitingly, I have a story about Farringdon and uh, Crossrail. Okay, what's your Farringdon story? Well, so here near Farringdon Station uh, is where in 2013 I went underground with Danny Alexander, who was a, a politician. I can't remember what he did. What the was stuff he? dreams are made of. Yeah, he was. He was. He a, said, did you do the Treasury? He was. What, what was that party called that he used to represent? Oh, it was that one from the olden days, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, something. Something in some coalition or something. The lib- liberals or Social something. Social Democrats. That was it. And we went down there, and I was a journalist, to witness the occasion of one of the tunnel boring machines being driven off to die in a tunnel on its own. Because they, they, they can't take them out, so they sort of just leave the drill head underground in sort of a, 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 a tunnel and then, and then concrete up the entrance to it. And we buried a time capsule. So with Danny Alexander, we buried a time capsule of things to remember 2013 by. What, what was in the time capsule for 2013? I think there was like a, a copy of the Evening Standard, The Economist, and, and like an associated load of tat of things that were currently in, in the music charts. A time photograph of Nick Clegg, that kind of... That, that kind of vibe. So, you know, many hundreds of years' time, um, people will dig down into that tunnel and find the remnants of what 2013 was like, thanks to that. OK, before we move on, I want to I talk about names again. Because uh, Farringdon Crossrail Station is going to connect both Farringdon and Barbican, but will only be on the map as Farringdon Station. And just as Liverpool Street Crossrail Station will connect both Liverpool Street and Moorgate, and will just be called... Isn't this really annoying? Like, there are better names for them. Okay, like, the Farringdon one, just call it Smithfield. It's under Smithfield Market. Smithfield is lovely. What's wrong with that? John, you can't cope with progress. Jim, what are we looking at? So we're looking at a what's going to be an entrance to Tottenham Court Road Crossrail Station. It's halfway along. It's just at the point where, where Oxford Street becomes really, really crap. And um, it doesn't look an awful lot like a station. That doesn't really look like you'd be able to get a train from there, even though the signs on the outside still have the old date of December 2018. It's just kind of like a box. Like, there's windows missing. Like, there's enormous... There's, it's, the roof is covered in porter cabins. There's scaffolding everywhere. This is not a building that was going to be an operational station in three months' time. No, and, and whoever managed to convince people to stay like that for, to, to convince them that it was still going to be on track, it was doing well. Um, and that's basically what's happened with this project, isn't it? A lot of thing, little things have gone wrong, and the rumour is that a lot of the staff, of uh, electricians and things like that, have gone off to work on other projects for more money anyway. Oh, terrific. So we've just escaped the hellhole that is Oxford Street. Um, we're heading towards the end of this somewhat torturous and strange journey from Woolwich all the way to Paddington. Uh, and we've just passed Bond Street, which, to be honest, doesn't look like a station that was ready to be opened. And that's the thing with all of this, isn't it? That's, that's kind of been the, my takeaway. It's like... It sort of came as a... Uh, it was reported as a shocking news story. I was, I was a bit surprised to find out because I thought Crossrail had been going well. And I kind of feel like maybe I should have, like, you know, looked out the window at some point because a lot of it doesn't look finished. We are looking right now at a strange blue building just next to Bond Street Tube Station. On Oxford Street itself. On right, o- right in the prime capital of shopping in London. Um, that looks like... I mean, I assume it's, it's either something that's got to be demolished... 
it looks like a bit of plant. It's either got to be demolished or it's got to be reclad at the very least. I can't imagine they're going to leave like a prime piece of real estate like that. And it just looks like something you'd see like it's basically a massive porter cabin. This thing's not done. On the upside, we did find the house of uh, Martin Van Buren, the eighth president of the United States. So there's, uh, there's one for the early Democratic Party fans. And that's it. 18 miles later, we are at Paddington. I don't think anyone in the world has ever been so happy to see Paddington emerge through the streets of London. I mean, it's a truly awful place to be. It's not a good-looking building, but, but it, it, it was it, just it, delightful uh, to see it. Uh, especially after a final schlep on behalf of you listeners through the, the west end of London to say we've fully checked out the Crossfire route. It's not finished, is it, John? I don't think it looks that finished, no. No, I think it is a failure of... Uh, transport journalism <coughs> to not have noticed before that it clearly is not going to be ready in December is it let's be honest uh, no and um, but but you know it, it will it will be ready in time something will emerge from this something will happen I mean like on the upside like bits of it looked quite ready like it's clearly going to be a, a new railway line it's just there's also lots of bits of it that still have like the wrapping on as it were so I just have uh, one question before we wrap up. What's that, John? What should we call the bloody thing? Well, I'm going to call it after our brave uh, leader and monarch, Queen Elizabeth, John. Yeah, but are you actually? Like, do you... Uh, this, okay, I'm, not, I'm seriously asking, do you think the name is going to stick? Because I sort of suspect that London is being... You have told our listeners what the, what the name is. I don't think... London is being who they are. I don't think it's going to be known as the Elizabeth line for... Possibly the better part of a generation. I think people are just going to call it Crossrail. So, are you going to, you know, are you going out in town tonight? Yeah, I'll get Crossrail. I think people will do that, yeah. But a lot of people haven't twigged it's coming yet. A lot of people will still be confused. A lot of people aren't obsessed with stuff like this. And when something opens and they go, well, what's this thing happening next week? Oh, there's this thing called the Elizabeth Line. Yeah, but I keep thinking of there's a nightclub in Cambridge known universally among the student body as Cindy's. It was known universally as, among the student body as Cindy's when I was there 15 years ago. It still is. I eventually got around to looking it up. It hasn't been called Cinderella Rockefellers, which is where the name Cindy's comes from, since 1992. Yet the name persists. I think people can be quite bloody-minded about this stuff. Well, you know, some of us will be catching the, the Liz line to... <laughs> all it, the all the way to Woolwich from Paddington. It will it will be a lot less creepy as a name when she dies. So there's that. Are you still excited, John? Are you still looking forward? I'm to I'm not excited name? about the death of Her Majesty. What do you think I am? I mean, like clearly the makers of the Crown are hoping that uh, she'll go in the next five or six years. I reckon, but that's a different. No, I'm definitely still excited. It'll be you know it's, it's a new train line. Love a new train line, and it'll go to my mum's. It's going to be brilliant. It's just not quite ready, and we probably should have known it's that before. Are you still excited? Can't wait, but for now I never want to see the damn thing for at least another year. Yeah, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and produced by me, John Ellidge. If you enjoyed the episode, then please do consider leaving us an iTunes review. It really helps other people to discover the show. And, you know, the more people get listening to the show, the sooner I can achieve my real goal of world domination for the medium of trains. Thanks for listening. Goodbye.
I'm on a bus home now. A bit knackered, to be honest. Still, probably not as knackered as it'll be next time I make Jim go for a walk when uh, we're going to do HS2. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.